Help keep Kinks and Beats daily ad-free and receive bonus content early with a contribution of 20 cents per episode. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more information. Hello and welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. Uh, I am your host, Tony Fry, and we are on episode 145. Today we're talking about Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney, technically by Wings. Uh, the song was released June 1st, 1973, backed with I Lie Around and credited to Wings, like I said. I actually had this 45. I found it at a record store a few months ago. Um, I mean, you've all heard the song before. Maybe you haven't heard the B-side before, but you've all heard Live and Let Die. It's one of uh, Paul's most famous compositions. It's a popular concert pick for him and was one of the most successful James Bond theme songs of all time it was recorded october 1972 during the, uh, the band sessions for red rose speedway and like i said it was written for the james bond movie of the same title the tracks produced and orchestrated by george martin now george martin did not produce red rose speedway he was brought in um, specifically to produce this track and he does the orchestrations and then he also does some instrumental stuff for the film soundtrack uh aside from paul and George is obviously the guy who produced and orchestrated most of the Beatles stuff. So this is uh, a very, I don't want to say it sounds like a Beatles song because it doesn't sound like a Beatles song, but if the Beatles had been asked to do a, uh, a James Bond film, this is probably what it sound, would have sounded like because this is George doing a lot of the stuff that you heard him. Um, he, George Martin is familiar with this style of music because uh some of the orchestrations that you hear throughout the help soundtrack are very influenced by that, that, that era of spy movie and all that kind of stuff. So um, he was definitely the right guy to call for this. The song reached number two on billboard and number nine in the UK and was the most successful bond song to date. It was also the first rock song to be the uh, theme song to a James Bond film. And they didn't want Paul to sing it. They wanted to give it to somebody else, and and George Martin and Paul McCartney said, "You can have the song, as long as you can do whatever you want with it once the movie starts, but the main title track, it's got to be Paul singing it," which I think is obviously the right way to go. Now, my research said that it was the most successful Bond song to that time. I would imagine nobody does it better, and the one Adele did have probably topped it but i don't know if i don't know which other specific ones um would have topped it because this was a huge huge song it's also the first james bond song to be nominated for an oscar but it lost to barbara streisand's the way we were boring um and since its release mccartney's played it on most if not all of his tours and it's usually accompanied by um what they call flash pot pyrotechnics and lasers and a crazy light show and all that kind of stuff. It's an exciting moment um, in the concert if you haven't seen him in concert and aren't expecting it, but it has been the same moment in this concert for 45 years. So we get to the controversial point. When the song was published for sheet music back in the day, the lyrics were written as um, this world in which we live in which is obviously a grammar atrocity in which we live in. Um, 
is just English teachers are having nosebleeds from that. McCartney claims that the lyric is actually in which we're living. And I would give him that he probably dropped the G. So it's, you know, in this world in which we're living. And then the, you know, the English accent doesn't always have hard R's. So he's not like in which we're living, you know. So if like you soften the R and drop the G, I can see where you can make the argument um, either way. I'm going to, to say that it's in which we're living. Um, just because it it's a better line that way. And I think, you know, even as lazy as Paul gets sometimes with his lyrics, I think he would have been a little bit more mindful of such a clumsy line that is so easily fixed. So my guess, uh, I'm not even going to make a guess. But um, so he says now that that's what he's saying. But then he also says the other way in which we live in would have been wronger but cuter. So he's proving that he has a willingness to abuse his native tongue, whether he did it on Live and Let Die or during just this exception uh, or this explanation of Live and Let Die. He's willing to butcher the language. So who knows really what it is? You sing it however you want to sing it. You hear it however you want to hear it. I've seen the arguments online for years now. And if you've never noticed, um, what a potentially horrible lyric that is, depending on how you interpret it. I'm sorry that I ruined it for you. Track opens in G major, and then the orchestral break shifts to G minor, and it just vamps on a G minor chord the whole time. And then the reggae interlude shifts to C and goes through a few keys before it goes back to G minor for the orchestral. It's pretty basic stuff. It's nothing crazy. But one of the hooks of the song comes in that introduction. And it appears a couple times in the song. And it's on a flat nine chord. So we've got this. That right there. That's the flat nine. It's a D7 flat nine. And the flat nine acts as a cross between a passing tone and a suspension in this particular thing. Usually it's used as a passing tone. Um, so like you'll do like a... Something like that where you're using it to lead into another chord. But on this one, um, the note is a D. And then the flat nine is a... E flat, which is just a half step above E, same as a D sharp. And then it resolves back to D because you're coming in on a D7 chord. And then you've got the D7 flat nine. And then it resolves to G, which has a D in it again. So in a, in you know where it's kind of working as a passing tone, it's also kind of working as a suspension. And what it does is, is a, it breaks up this monotony of the D, which has, you know, very little power. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, a, a, like a plagal cadence, like the amen cadence. There's not a lot of oomph and power to having that D sustained through both chords. So by breaking it up, by adding that flat nine, um, 
it adds a little tension. Now you could have done a regular nine, but that sounds too happy. So it's the it's really the perfect chord, and I don't know um, what inspired him to use it, or if it was an accidental, you know, kind of stumbled upon it. it was like, oh, that sounds good. But uh, to me, that's the whole hook of this song. That's what makes it sound like a James Bond theme song, um, while also making it sound like a Paul McCartney or Beatles, you know, song. Um, it all comes down to that one note. Uh, it's cool stuff. Guns and Roses, as you probably know released a version of this song in 1991, which was a top 40 hit and gets as much or more airplay on classic rock stations as the original does. But, uh, I mean, it's a classic song. Who doesn't like live and let die. If you don't like live and let die, let me know. Give me a call at 925-494-1739 or email me kinksandbeats at herohabit.com and let me know why you don't like nice things. You can also swing by our, our new Facebook group. Go to the Hero Habit Facebook page and you can find a Kinks and Beats daily Facebook group um, where we can all talk and discuss things and vote on our favorite songs and such like that. And um, yeah, swing by Hero Habit. There's all sorts of articles up for Kinks and Beatles and uh, I encourage you to do that. All right. Thank you for listening. Swing by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review, please. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Have a great day. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.